Welcome to the Beyond the Box War podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interviewed Coach Brian Hobright. He's currently the head men's basketball coach at Kilgore College. Coach, how's it going? Good, David. Good. Just trying to uh, get motivated here for the second semester and get ready to get things started with our guys getting back to school. Awesome. Coach, do you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Brian Hobright, I'm the head basketball coach at uh, Kilgore College in Texas. Uh, been a head coach of starting my 21st year in the business as a head coach and uh, spent three years as an assistant in, at Dodge City and four years uh, kind of in graduate school and as an assistant coach at Emporia State University prior to that. So I've uh, been doing it for a while and have loved the junior college level. Um, been at Dodge City Community College for uh, eight years and as the head coach and then here for 13. Coach, talk about growing up in Oklahoma and what was your childhood like and which sports did you play growing up? Well, uh, I, I played a little bit of football in grade school, a uh, little bit of baseball in grade school. Uh, but then as I got older, uh, I, I enjoyed golf uh, into the high school days. Uh, but uh, I fell in love with basketball early on. Uh, I grew up with Mark and Brent Price and their dad, Denny. Um, I fell in love with the game and just being in the gym with those guys and learning and working. And so that became uh, something I, I just hooked on to really fast and uh, enjoyed so much that I kind of focused on it. You know, we, we always played baseball and football and in the front yard. But, you know, when it came down to competitive team sports, uh, I was pretty focused on basketball real early in my life. Coach, you ended up at Southwestern College. What about Southwestern was the right fit for you? Mm, I think at that point in my life, I was it was far enough away from home uh, that it allowed me to grow up, and uh, it allowed me to keep playing uh, the game of basketball, which at that point I loved and wanted to keep playing. And uh, it was the right level. You know, I wasn't blessed with great athleticism or height or – uh, but I did love the game. I think I had a good basketball IQ. And, and so I uh, spent four years at Southwestern and won a conference championship my junior year and had a really good experience there. Uh, got a really good education there and, uh, you know, was able to move on from there to graduate school. Okay, awesome. Now, who was your coach at Southwestern? I played for a guy named Jim Wheatcroft. He was there all four years. Uh, he was relatively new, I think, when I got there, uh, maybe a second or third year running the program. And uh, so we got a chance to play for him for four years. And uh, he finished his career at Southwestern and uh, is in private business now. When did you realize that you wanted to be a basketball coach? Oh, I think early on, uh, just in high school and maybe even junior high, shoot, I, I, I loved the game so much I knew I wanted to be around it. And I think I realized pretty early in my career, especially playing with Brent all the time, Brent and I were, uh, were the closest in age of the Price brothers. And uh, I was two years younger than Brent. 
and we spent a lot of time working out together and things that I, you know, I just, I wasn't a high major player. I wasn't going to make money playing this game. And so um, I think just as my life started to evolve uh, and I wanted to be around uh, this age group of kids or people or maturing adults, and I wanted to be able to add value and, and help them grow and develop and, and also being a part of a sport that I love so much, I just think that I gravitated towards coaching and and loved the opportunity and the and the impact that I could have through coaching to to help these kids grow and and add value to their lives. Gotcha. Now you went on to be a, a graduate assistant at Emporia State, you know, going the GA route. Did you have a prior relationship with Coach Slay? I did not. I. Uh, um, the uh, my my head coach that I played for, Coach Wheatcroft, knew Coach Slaymaker a little bit and had a relationship with him, which helped. Uh, but my foot in the door at Emporia was the athletic director. Uh, his name was Bill Quayle, and he had been the athletic director at Phillips University, which was the four year school in Enid uh, while I was growing up. And he had daughters my age and his family and my family. Uh, just had a relationship, spent some time together socializing and, and those things growing up. And then he moved on and was in Emporia State. And so that relationship helped me get my foot in the door. And I really had kind of a unique experience at Emporia because my graduate assistantship was tied to men's basketball and the athletic director. And so there were things I helped run a Division II uh, National uh, Track and Field Championship uh, I did some stuff with football on game days. Uh, there were some academic things that the uh, head coaches in the uh, in the uh, athletic department had to answer to me or provide information to me that I could give to the AD. And uh, I, I did some tracking of that kind of stuff. So I had a wide range of experience uh, while working for Schley. And uh, – it was such a unique experience and, and a good experience for me. I think it helped really kind of help me understand college athletics and college basketball. And, and Slay was such a good person to work for. Uh, he taught me so much about uh, life and handling players as much as he did about the X's and O's of it. So it was just, it was, I spent four really good years with him. You know, he spent 20, 28 seasons at Emporia State won 465 games what made him so successful as a head coach and do you think he was ever tempted to chase that division one dream so many coaches have I don't think so you know Slay played at Emporia State and um, I think he found uh, kind of his niche of the level that he liked coaching which let him balance his life and basketball and I think each one of us has got to find that. Uh, and, and as we grow and as we get into our coaching profession, um, and I just think he really found uh, a balance for himself that he uh, appreciated and enjoyed. Um, his wife, Shirley, was a big part of his life. And um, she was a great lady. And so I just think he got, you know, he just, as he got deeper and deeper rooted back into, into that Emporia State, in the Emporia community, I just think he found it really, really hard to leave. He was uh, very well known, very respected. Uh, I think he was a great coach. Um, you know, I worked for him four of his last five years in coaching. 
And um, I think what I learned from him the most was just how to deal with player-coach relationships, um, how to deal with the guys um, as you're trying to help them grow and you're pushing them and you're trying to help them realize their potential and grow into their potential uh, and at the same time uh, care about them, love them, uh, nurture them a little bit when they need it and, uh, and just be a part of the whole process of their development and growth. And so uh, guys really – our players really wanted to play hard for him. I thought they really respected Slay. And I thought that was one of the things that made him a really good coach was just the competitiveness that they had. You know, you mentioned that you stayed on staff after your graduate assistantship end, ended. Uh, you know, were you full-time or were you working another job to make it work financially? You know, how did you uh, yeah. help that dynamic? No, I was, I, was, uh, I was working a second job to make it work. I was trying to get my foot in the door. Uh, I got my first, I think it took me two and a half years to get my first graduate degree. Uh, and I could have finished it if I'd have found a job, um, but I didn't. And so I just stayed there and finished it that semester. Uh, and then the next year and a half that I was there, I was just trying to get my foot in the door with somebody and, and find a way to get into college basketball as a, a full-time assistant. And uh, Slay was just nice enough. And I, you know, I'm, I want to believe that I was able to add some value to his program that he let me stick around, let me stay a part of the staff, let me keep working. And then, oh, shoot, I bet it was close to August 1st, that fourth, uh, after that fourth year of me being there, that uh, uh, I knew Mike Rohn at Dodge City. Uh, and he, uh, Chad Wentz is the guy that he had worked for, took the job at Fort Hayes. Mike was looking for an assistant, and uh, Mike was leaving the KCAC at McPherson College as probably one of the better players. I think he was the player of the year, his senior year at McPherson. Uh, he was leaving when I was coming in, and I was uh, recruited by McPherson. And so Mike and I spent some time together on my recruiting visit. And so we just had kind of stayed in touch, and it just felt lucky that he was looking for somebody, and um, I fit what he was looking for, and jumped in and worked for him for three years. And, and he's with Tad Boyle now at Colorado. And uh, Mike and I have remained friends and I'm forever grateful for, you know, just the opportunity he provided to, to help me get my foot in the door. You know, you, you talk about that relationship with Coach Roan. Uh, you know, it was kind of you're in and, and what gave you the, uh, you know, what, what gave you uh, – a reason to take that leap of faith. Um, you know, talk about that first season at, at Dodge city. Who, well, they were coming off a championship year. They had just gone, shoot. I want to tell you it was around 25 and five. Uh, it was, it was close. That wasn't probably the exact record, uh, but they had had a great year. Uh, Chad had parlayed that into the Fort Hayes job. Um, Mike had gotten all the recruiting done um, as I remember it at that point in time. And so I'm stepping in, you know, really my first experience with junior college as far as being in it. And, uh, I just kind of jumped in feet first and, uh, didn't back down from any of the, uh, of the responsibilities that coach gave to me and just tried to like, I, you know, I've used this word already. I just wanted to add value. I just wanted to be a part of it and, 
and make sure that I was supporting him and making his job as easy as I possibly could. And, um, and we had a tough year. We were 13 and 17. We had a lot of freshmen. Um, and uh, some of them probably weren't quite as good as they were touted to be when we recruited them or when coach had recruited them. Uh, and we flipped it pretty quickly. Uh, just a lot of hard work. I learned a lot about, um, you know, just the diligence and staying with it and the relationship process of recruiting those first two or three years with coach because, uh, you know, Dodge City's a great place, uh, but it's not an easy place to recruit to. Um, you have to re- – at that point, we had to recruit, recruit a lot of in-state kids because we only got six out-of-staters. Um, we only had books and tuition scholarships. The whole league did. Uh, so we were trying to recruit against Texas schools that had full scholarships. And so there was just a lot of learning going on. And uh, I just kind of kept my head down and stayed focused and worked. We flipped it to 17 and 13 my second year. And uh, I think it was 21 and 10 my third year. And we'd gotten ranked as high as 10th in the country. I think we went started the year 14 and 0 or something like that, close to it. And so Mike parlayed that into an assistant coaching position with uh, Coach Turgeon at uh, Wichita State. He had just taken the job at Wichita State. And uh, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be hired And uh, as the head coach. Um, and I remember it. I think I was hired 48 out now. It wasn't even that. I think it was 24 hours. I was officially hired 24 hours before April the 8th. Uh, so on April the 7th, cause April the 8th was the first day of the signing period. And I had four or five Kansas kids that were going to sign with us on April the 8th. And they had all committed to sign in as long as I was the head coach. And so it all worked, you know, kind of worked itself out. Uh, I inherited a very good basketball team and I think we won 20 games, 19, 20 games my first year as the head coach. So it was uh, coach did de- definitely didn't leave the cupboard bare. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of that success is something that he and I started together. It wasn't something that I did by myself. You know, the Jayhawk conference is, you know, one of the top football Juco conferences in the country. How comparable was the basketball? You know, you talk about, uh, how good Dodge city was, but you know, the rest of the conference, how good was it? Oh, it was a great league back when we were in it. Um, I think it's a really good league now. Uh, I keep hearing it's probably a little watered down um, as opposed to what it was when I was coaching in it, but that's that's just what I hear. I mean, I, I probably shouldn't even say that on a podcast, but <laughs> I uh, uh, from top to bottom, I thought our league was really good. I don't think it was as good as it had been maybe 10 years earlier. Um, but it was still a really good league. Uh, the years we won it in 96 and 97, when we won the Jayhawk West back to back, uh, I had 10 division one players on my team both years. So, you know, the, I, I felt like the, the balance of the Jayhawk, I always told people that the neat thing about the Jayhawk was you had, you know, six really, really good uh, out-of-state athletes and out-of-state players, and you really couldn't miss on those six guys. And then you probably had four or five in-state kids that you thought were really good players. 
And what we tried to do was sign two kids every year from in-state that we felt like were, you know, high-level D2 to Division One players. And that way we had at least 10 deep on our roster every year. And then we'd always have some fill-in guys that we were trying to help grow, mature, develop into players, kind of taking a gamble on them a little bit. Or, and, and so what we did was with those recruiting classes, you really learned as a coach – how to mix and uh, and coach teams on the floor that may not all have the same caliber of player. Like I could have a couple D2 guys on the floor with three really good high major to it, or not high major, but mid-major plus division one players. And you had to figure out as a coach how to, to get that group to work and gel and have chemistry together. And so there was sometimes some discrepancy in the talent that you had on the floor and I thought it really challenged me as a coach to learn how to grow that kind of talent and that kind of a team and, and let them develop and reach their potential. Uh, you know, down here in Texas, uh, we've got a lot of good athletes and a lot of good players on the floor all the time. So it's, it's not quite the same uh, dynamic as what it was up there. Yeah, you know, prior to watching Last Chance U, I wasn't aware of the whole – you know, in-state versus out-of-state uh, limits. Do you mind sharing with the listeners kind of how that came about in the Jayhawk conference? Well, I don't. You know, when I got there, that's that the rule would had the rule changed when I first got there from five out-of-staters to six. And I think the gist of it was in the Kansas system was uh, it's community college, and so you're supposed to have you know Kansas community type kids and so it wasn't necessarily set up to be we're trying to get the best players in the country all the time to to come to our schools and we're trying to give uh the kansas local community kids opportunities and um i still think it's set up that way i just think they've given a broader stroke to it uh, and, uh, and those guys still, they have more freedom to go recruit out of state, but I don't think the money's always there to go have a complete team of out of staters. So, um, I think it's still set up that way. I think that was the gist of it. Uh, you know, there was always a push for me to have, um, you know, the local or the hundred mile radius around Dodge, if there were really good players, um, you know, those the people wanted to see those kids. They wanted to have them on your team and they wanted to see them excel and them to be able to play. And really it was why we became one of the better teams in the West. My last little bit in, in Kansas was because we really bought into that as a staff. And we tried to recruit the Western half of the state and really have the better kids in the Western half of the state attend Dodge and that's how we were getting our two to three really good players every year was we were just focused on those guys. And instead of trying to have too big of a broad stroke in the whole state, we were trying to remain focused in some certain areas. And uh, it really paid some dividends for us in recruiting and got some really good players there. And I think, you know, one of my, my deals is, is I think those kids had a pride in being at Dodge that a kid from North Carolina may not have that same amount of pride. He may not understand Dodge city like somebody else, you know, like a more of a local kid did. And so I think it gave some substance and some teeth to our, to our program and just uh, uh, the tradition that we were trying to build and the kids buying into that tradition. 
How did you balance recruiting your players and helping them get recruited by four-year programs at the same time? Mm. Probably a lot better question to ask me 20 years ago than it is now. Um, You know, when I started 20 years ago, when I got to Dodge City, we didn't have much to sell. The league that we played in, uh, I was a new head coach. I didn't have much uh, skin in the game for any length of time that gave, you know, me a ton of credibility as a, as a head coach. And so I felt like it, at times it was really hard for us to get our players recruited because uh, they could come say, Hey, he's a good player, but they didn't know exactly what we had done with them in our program. And, and I think now as, as people recruit our program, that's, not a really hard sell for us. And I think a lot of it's because of the players that we've had in the past, you know, when our guys go on and, and I've had so many guys play in so many different conferences that have gone on and played well, uh, have been able to finish their two year careers, uh, have started, played lots of minutes, contributed, made positive impacts. Uh, I think the schools that recruit this program now and spend time in here understand that we really work hard at trying to develop our guys to be prepared for the next level and and in and try to spend time running this program like a mid to high major division one program. So our guys are prepared for the all the different facets that go into being a division one player. And so I think selling that or trying to get coaches to understand that is not near as difficult today with 20 years of experience and, and the, the list of players that we've had here and at Dodge City that have had success before the, the guys leaving now. Uh, it's just made it easier for those guys to, to trust this place and to trust the process that this place uh, uh, builds into or tries to build into these guys' lives. Um, gosh, the recruiting side of things is – so much it's so much relational uh we feel like we have a really really good team this year and we didn't see we saw one kid play in person last year on our team and our recruiting class and we've got you know seven or eight new guys this year so it was so relational and trying to deal with people that i knew or tr- deal with people that one of my assistant coaches knew and and trying to trust character and those types of things and and we really like our team this year and so i just i think I think recruiting is is evaluation. How, how can you evaluate a kid? Can you project out how good they really can be? Uh, you know, we talk to our guys all the time about we don't coach you where you are. We coach you where you're, you know, where where you're potentially good enough to be. And so we're constantly going to be trying to challenge you and help you reach your potential or reach your. Uh, the ceiling of who you can be as a player. And as we do that with our guys and as we do that in this program, that's part of the the recruiting process and us seeing, trying to see what we think their, uh, their ceiling is as a player. And once we've gone through that part, you know, we've got five things that we work on in recruiting. Uh, They're really important to us. Um, and I think those five things help guide us daily in the decisions that we make and who we sign and, uh, part of, you know, why our guys can move on and be successful too. Coach, you also had some head coaching experience, uh, when you took over the Dodge city legend, talk about coaching in the USBL 
And uh, how were you able to juggle uh, both coaches? Yeah, I was not the head coach. I was the assistant coach with the legend. Um, I did spend four summers with them. Uh, it was such a great experience for me. Uh, I worked for Cliff Livingston for a year, who had spent now 13 or 14 years in the NBA. Uh, I think Cliff has ring two and three of Jordan's six uh, world championship rings. So he played for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, and then I worked for, for three years, I worked for a guy named uh, Dale Osborne, who right now is an assistant coach with the Portland Trailblazers and has been with them for, for quite a while. And uh, it was a great opportunity in my growth as a coach to understand the professional game and to understand the college game. And the majority of my responsibilities with both those guys was to just to, to be available to the players, to help them get better, help them grow and mature. Um, I, I told people um, camp started in April every year. So it started shortly after spring break and we'd get back and we'd have a couple of weeks and then, um, their, their camp would start in April and it would end in July. And the, uh, the, uh, the season would end at the end of June, right before the 4th of July. And, uh, the great thing about it was as, as those guys got to know me over the, I don't know, seven or eight years that I was there during the franchise and the four years that I was helping them coach, they all knew they could come in early. So the guys that were coming back every year would come in early and they'd just come to our gym and they'd start working out with our players. And I told people that we had the best setup in the country in the spring because for 10 days or so, those guys would come in and start playing pickup games with our players. And the intensity in the gym would go through the roof because our guys never wanted to, they never wanted to team up with them. They always wanted to play against them. And so they'd be like, well, you guys got your team and we got our team and let's play. And so uh, the games would get really good and, it really helped our junior college program grow during that time. But my experience of just being with different minds, being around a different game, the, the NBA game is, is a lot different than the college game, but there are certain things that, that are similar and it allowed me to take some of that stuff and inject it into our program and into my coaching philosophy and, it helped me understand the NBA game a little bit better, uh, which I thought was unique and, uh, and has have a much better appreciation for that. And those two dudes knew how to get pros in here. And, uh, I coached some, I coached some great guys. I mean, I coached some, some professional dudes that have been in the NBA, were trying to get to the NBA, had spent a lot of time overseas and, uh, you know, that, that stuff really helped me see work ethics. Um, I took from those guys some of the things they had worked on, what different coaches had worked on with them. They took from me some of the things we worked on with our guys, really helped me kind of refine player development and how to help guys really improve what they're trying to do. Who were some of the assistant coaches you had on staff uh, during your time as a head coach at Dodge City? Who uh, at Dodge City, I had uh, probably the two biggest ones that have been with me. Well, gosh, I'm sitting here thinking. 
Uh, Jeremy Johnston worked for me. He's an assistant at Metro State right now. Chris Tift worked for me. He is an assistant at Central Michigan right now. Uh, Brady Trinkle worked for me. Brady spent four years as the head coach at Dodge City after I left. He spent four years as the head coach at Garden City, and he is a head high school coach and athletic director uh, in Idaho now. And so uh, those are probably the three, four main guys that were on the staff. When I was in Dodge, I didn't have uh, I didn't have a big staff. You know, it was just me and one other guy. Most of the time, if I was fortunate, we might get, you know, somebody in the area that might volunteer or be able to help for just a little bit of money. But typically uh, it was just me and, and one assistant coach. Part of the uh, – part of the growth of this program here at Kilgore and uh, part of uh, this, this, uh, this, the, the, just the benefit of this spot, I guess is the best way to say it is that our staff's been able to be bigger down here and have more guys uh, a part of it. Coach, I'm curious, which current head coaches who at the time were assistants used to come and recruit your players at Dodge city and at Kilgore? Oh gosh. That are head coaches now? Uh, yeah, some guys who are more, you know, some of the house. Oh, gosh, I don't – that'd be a hard place to start and finish, to be honest with you. Um, I'm trying to think who who came through. Well, Terry Carroll used to come through a ton, and he spent some time at, at Denver. Um and then uh, Randy Ray used to come through a bunch. Barry Henson used to come through a bunch. Uh, I'm trying to think of different guys that have recruited our programs over the years. Um, Kermit Davis came through as an assistant coach at LSU. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think. He was working for John Brady. I think Terry Carroll was the one that was working for Tim Floyd and he came through a bunch. Um, Houston Fancher. Oh gosh. I'm just, I, to sit here and start, start naming a whole bunch. Of, I, we've had a whole bunch of head coaches come through, you know, over the years too. And, uh, and so I'm not sure I've kept a really good list of guys that were next to actually assistants that turned into head coaches. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. Every head coach wants to put his own twist on things. What similarities and what differences did you have from your predecessor at Dodge City? From Coach Rome? Yep. Who? Um, I think part of the reason that Coach and I were so good together and were able to have success in our three short years was we were probably pretty similar. Uh, I wasn't trying to change who he was or what we were trying to do. And uh, that doesn't mean I didn't have ideas or throw things. I, I like to try to tell, I, I think having a devil's advocate is good on staff. I, I don't think you can agree all the time. Uh, if my assistants always agree with me, then I flip and take the other side of things just to, you got to have some friction and you got to have some evaluation of what's going on. So, I'm not saying I didn't have ideas for coach, but I think for the most part, uh, his aggressive style of defense fit mine. 
you know, at that point in time, uh, the game was being played different than it is today. And we just, uh, we came to an agreement on how things were going to go in the office and, and we coached that way. And, and I think a lot of it was our agreement on the culture of the program, uh, the toughness, the, um, attention to detail with academics, the attention to detail with uh, leadership and character and, and, and just all the different facets that, that become a reflection of who you are as the head coach. And I just – I wanted to support what he wanted our program to stand for, and I believed in what the things that he believed in. And so I think that made us really good and uh, probably is – has been part of the reason why I feel like we've had sustained success over the years and, and, and been able to win a lot of games is because I've stayed pretty true to that too. You know, you spent a total of eight years uh, as a head coach and, and 11 altogether at Dodge city. How difficult was it for you to leave? Uh, <laughs> not hard. Um, uh, the, the hard, the hardest part of leaving a Dodge was I had, I had been recently divorced. Um, and I left, uh, my three children, um, in Dodge city for about nine months before they moved, uh, to where they, to where they lived growing up. Um, but, uh, leaving as a whole, um, when I took this job at, at Kilgore, uh, it was such a, uh, a drastic change in uh, a paycheck, uh, a drastic change in uh, scholarships and the ability to recruit all over the world. And, uh, and my budget was better in, in uh, significantly better in, in three or four areas that, that it just wasn't as good at Dodge city. And so um, living in East Texas and, um, and building the program down here has been, uh, uh, been a great change for me, for our family, um, and has allowed us to, to grow, uh, in every aspect of the program. We've been able to do more down here than what we could with what we had at Dodge. And, uh, I have great memories of Dodge. The people of Dodge city were fantastic. I have great friends that I still, uh, keep in touch with up there. Um, the administration was great to me, uh, but they were limited and that was the reality of the situation. And, and when I made the decision to leave the president and I visited about it, we talked about the differences. There's, there was just no way to change the differences. You know, there's no way to bridge that gap and there was no way to close the gap or, or to make it equal. He understood it. I understood it. Um, and, uh, I tried to be very respectful of it because of, uh, the success that we've had and the time that we'd spent at Dodge city. Um, uh, it's hard to win a championship in that, in the Jayhawk West, much less win them back to back. And so, uh, I'm very respectful of the time that I spent there, the people that I spent it with and, uh, very appreciative of the opportunity they gave me to be the head coach there. How has the prep school scene changed during your time as a college coach? You know, have you noticed any sort of trend as far as kids prepping instead of going juco? Not necessarily. I just think there's a lot more of them now. Uh, I just think it's such a, 
they're everywhere. Uh, when I first got started, there probably wasn't the, the number of them out there to choose from. Um, and, uh, you know, I shoot my first recruiting class. I lost Josh Howard to prep school. I lost uh, Dwayne West to prep, prep school. I was recruiting both those guys extremely hard out of North Carolina. And, uh, and so I, you know, I understood it very fast, uh, but there just wasn't as many of them. And I think the misnomer that kids get into nowadays is they get sold that, that prep school is a way to go. And the problem is not every prep school is created equal. Not every prep school can take care of them. Not every prep school can grow them and help them mature and develop. And I think, I think there's cases where prep school can be very, very good for players. And um, I think prep school can be um, can prolong the inevitable. And so I think it's a case by case scenario and uh, it, do, the, it doesn't fit for every kid. And um, and I just think there's a lot of bad information about prep school. Um, you know, some of it can be negative towards the prep school and some of it can be negative for the kid. It's it's not that all prep schools are bad. I don't I don't believe that. But I just think that it's got to be the right fit for the kid. It can't just be another place that they go. And it's got to be about growth and maturity and being able to grow your game and get better. And uh, some of that takes competition and some of that takes the right environment and the right kind of coaching staff. And, and, uh, and so you just got to be careful about those decisions. I couldn't agree more coach. Um, you know, did any of the kids who had committed to play for you at Dodge City follow you to Kilgore? One. One. Uh, and I'm to be honest with you, I'm not sure he should have come. Um, I, my, my objective was not to uh, – that was one of the things my president even spoke about with me that day and just said, you're going to take all your players with him. And I looked at him and I said, I don't want any, one of them. There's not one of them that, that needs to come with me right now. And I uh, said, we'll visit that over the next two or three weeks. But my objective is, is not to take these guys and to leave you empty handed. And, and to do that, my job is to, to build a program at Kilgore. And, uh, and that's what I've got to go do. And if these guys don't fit Kilgore, then I'm not bringing them with me. And um, there was one kid on our roster, uh, a bigger kid, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that um, – just didn't have as good a relationship with my assistant coach who took over the head job as he did with me. And uh, we both agreed that it would be better for him to be with me. And so he came with us. And uh, other than that, we, we, uh, we kept everybody in Dodge coach, coach Trinkle and I kept everybody in Dodge and we went out and tried to, to uh, build our own roster. Talk about how those first few Ooh, seasons at Kilgore went. Man, uh, you know, you never truly know what you're what you're walking into when you get a new job. I mean, there's just no way to to truly understand. Uh, and you know, there's two reasons you get a job. One of them is because the guy before you was struggling on his way out, uh, or the guy before you has won and won and won and is has created a better situation or a different situation or a new situation for himself. And uh, mine was the previous one. Um, and when I got here, uh, there was there was very little to nothing. 
there weren't complete sets of uniforms. Uh, there wasn't a complete ball rack. There were no files, no paperwork, uh, zero. Um, and uh, so it was tough. Uh, the first couple years were um, a lot of learning how the school worked, uh, learning how the league worked, uh, just trying to dive into every little thing. And I thought, I thought each year uh, we got better at everything, you know, across the board. We got better at recruiting um, in the league and league-level players. Uh, we got better at uh, understanding the faculty and staff on our campus and <clears throat> creating a relationship with those people that, uh, that is flexible and bends but never breaks and letting them know how much we supported them. Uh, it's uh, understanding uh, how, to, how to get the most out of our guys on a day-to-day -day basis in this environment so that they can get the most out of basketball and development and growth as players and then also figure out how to grow our team and develop our team and mature it each year to win. And, um, you know, I think slowly over those first three or four years, we started, get, you know, bridging that gap. Uh, you start figuring out what the coaches in the league are like, how they coach. You start figuring out uh, what happens in close games. Uh, you start adjusting to the officiating because it's different down here in Texas than it was in Kansas. Um, and so now all of a sudden you, you, you feel more comfortable in every side of those things. And then all of a sudden you start finding your, you know, you find the guys that fit what's going on here and, and what, and how to, and how to be successful at this university or this school. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, we end up in the national tournament and, uh, you know, the next year we end up having Steph Moody and, uh, and we won the league one year and then Steph's here for a year and has a heck of a year and then goes on to be first team all SEC two years in a row. And, and, you know, the year before we'd had an all American named Lonnie McClanahan and two years later, we have an all American make named Jaleel Wheeler, who's probably arguably one of the better junior college success stories out there. And uh, he ends up at Tulsa and plays for a couple of years. And so, you know, then you've got this funnel of guys that, that are feeding off of each other of, you know, you go to Kilgore and you're, you know, the, the doors are opening for the right places and, and guys are having a lot of success. And, uh, I'm actually getting ready to do a, a phone interview kind of podcast later on this week with Chris Johnson, who played for me. Well, gosh, maybe my first or second, not my first year, but my second and third year here. And Chris is a Canadian and has played pro for probably the last eight to 10 years after he got done at St. Bonaventure. So, uh, you know, it's that circle of this guys that have been through here now that have had success and gone on to play and, and you get to rekindle relationships and spend time with them now in a, in a different light. So all that stuff just starts feeding into success. And, and I think that's where guys, you know, everybody likes to use the word grind and, you got to grind and you got to, I don't, I don't, I don't use grind very often. Uh, I think you have to have a daily investment in people. And uh, we talk about building equity with our team all the time. And uh, that's relationships and it's love and it's support. And uh, sometimes it's tough love, um, you know, and, and so we, it's a daily investment around here that we make and uh, our staff's been very, very committed to that. And I would, I would never ever 
uh, try to take uh, full responsibility for everything that goes on around here because um, my assistant coaches spend an enormous amount of time in the process and are, are a huge amount of the success that these kids have and that our team has. Um, and you can't be good without great assistant coaches. Coach, t- talk about your assistant coaches that you have. I know that, you know, you're named the uh, Region 14 Coach of the Year in 2012, 2013, and anyone in the business knows, you know, that's that's a credit to not just the head coach. but Yeah, I think anytime you win an award, it's it becomes a team award. Uh, I think that, that, you know, teams, every team has to sacrifice something for the for the if, if it's a player for him to be considered the best player in the league or the MVP, then everybody has to sacrifice for him to be the MVP. And if a coach wins a coaching award like a coach of the year award, then it's it's a testament to the to the players that are there that are willing to be coached and to the staff that's willing to to be led and, and to do a lot of the work along the way. And uh I'm, I'm very fortunate right now. Uh, we have three guys on staff. Uh, Jake White is uh, the associate head coach here. He's been with me. I think this is his fourth year that he's been a part of our program. Uh, and he is a uh, he's a basketball junkie, just like I am. And uh, he is a big reason. I mean, he'll sit around and talk basketball. He will stay in the gym with our players. He'll help him with academics. He's just – he's got a lot of different tools um, that really make him uh, successful and make him special. Uh, he's a great recruiter. He's very tied into the state of Texas. And so he's he's been a really big part of kind of a resurgence here. After, after Moody left, uh, we had a really tough year, and uh, we kind of had to re, kind of refocus the – the rebuilding of, I don't know if you call it a rebuild, but uh, just getting the program back to what the standard of excellence is around here. And, and Jake's been a huge part of that. So uh, the other guy on staff right now is Cody McCoy and Cody's in his second year here. Um, he uh, finished up as a graduate assistant at Baylor. Uh, he is uh, tied into probably one of my better friends in the business and uh, we had an opening, and it worked out, and he's been a really, really good fit for us. Uh, he brings a lot of things to the table. His, his biggest strength is his individual development, um, his relationship with the players, just his ability to get him in the gym and get him better. And um, he's got a really good basketball mind. He works really, really hard. Um, and he's he's he loves the process. He's a junkie too, just like just like Jake and I are. So, the new guy on staff right now is Mike Randall, and Mike has uh, just joined our program here in August. And uh, he played in this league. He played for uh, Chuck Taylor at Paris, and so he understands this league. He understands, um, you know, what it's like to compete in it, recruit in it, and all that stuff. And I've been. Uh, been really impressed with his work ethic and his commitment to our, to our program and just wanting to do the right thing every day, all the time. And so his value is, has been, been great for us just in the fact that he's, he's eager and he wants to, to be a positive, uh, a positive piece of the puzzle every day. 
Have you adjusted your recruiting philosophy over the years as far as Division One transfers mm. versus uh, high school players? Uh, yeah, I think I think early on in my career, I was a high school guy. didn't Didn't really like prep school dudes that much. Uh, even though guys would run around and say, "Yeah," but they've had a year more of experience. But I think a lot of the prep school experiences they had. Uh, in some of those places weren't very good ones. They didn't work very hard. They weren't held to very high standards. And so I thought uh, getting to college was a little bit of a culture shock to them to how hard it was going to be. Um, now I'm, I, uh, we, we just have a process that we go through here. And I have no problem telling our coaches uh, that there's a lot of good players out there and let's find the ones that, that fit our five. And like I said earlier today, we've got five things that that I think are really important and that I've kind of over the years have decided this is what really makes good players at this at this school and for our basketball program and for our staff. And so if we're recruiting a guy and and one of us gets a bad feeling about you know, two or three things on the list not being good and, and that it's it's not going to be a, a good fit, then we just walk away regardless of how talented the kid is. And uh, we're just trying to find guys that we feel like fit. And uh, and a lot, a lot of that fit is just do you want to be coached and do you want to be in an environment where you got a chance to get better every day and work hard every day and that kind of stuff. And if you are, then – this becomes a really, really good place to be. And uh, there's just not very many people that have at the junior college level that have three assistant coaches that are just in the gym all the time with our guys. And uh, so our investment in our players is, is a lot different than what a lot of junior colleges can offer. And we got to have guys that want that kind of environment. If you only want to come to practice every day, then, this necessarily this isn't necessarily a good place to be because our guys are around the gym a lot more than that. Coach, in your last seven years, you've helped twenty-eight players sign Division One scholarships. How rewarding is it to see your players earn those full scholarships mm. at the Division One level? Probably something we probably take a probably take a little bit of for granted here, David. Um, uh, I'm just as I'm just as excited about our players calling me and telling me they've got their degree from their four-year school, if not more excited than I am about them actually getting to that level. Um, and the reason I say maybe take that a little bit for granted is is that when when every kid that comes to Kilgore has a dream of going Division One and trying to be a pro. Uh, at least you want to believe that. And so uh, that's kind of the kind of the standard, the expectation level right now. And um, and trying to make sure that we identify the guys, the, the years that we have struggled or not lived up to our standard or, or not won as many games as we wanted to win or the few kids that have slipped through the cracks here and not graduated from junior college have been the ones that 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 haven't bought into the process and, and haven't wanted to, to live up to the standards that we believe like that we put in place to help them achieve, you know, being at division one or, 
ultimately trying to be a pro or those types of things. So um, I don't want to just say we're running around patting ourselves on the back just because a lot of kids go division one, that's kind of the expectation level around here. So we just kind of, kind of keep rolling with it and trying to help as best we can and trying to put these guys in a situation where they can, where they can grow and, and improve and, and uh, keep chasing their dreams. That's, that's part of our recruiting pitch is that, you know, you get, you got to chase your dreams here anywhere you go, you got to chase them. And, and we're willing to help support that process while, while you're here. What does a typical day in the life of a Juco head coach look like as far as in season? Uh, you know, I, fortunately I'm, at, I'm at a place here. We've got a full-time SID well, I say full-time SID. We have an SID that can spend enough time helping us uh, that he can make my life easier. Uh, I've got three full-time assistant coaches. Uh, I've got an athletic director who's involved and cares and supports us and uh, is a big, you know, a big proponent in trying to help us be successful. So in some junior college settings, when I was at Dodge city, I had to do everything. And, uh, and like I said, we only had one assistant coach. And so he um, and so he and I split the duties and we did it all. Uh, and here I just I'm not as my time demands aren't the same. And I don't have to deal with some of the tedious things that um, that as a head coach, you'd like to be able to leave to somebody else so that you can focus on coaching your team. So I get to spend a lot of time. um uh, I, I get to spend time, uh, with boosters. I do get to spend time, um, uh, coaching our team and watching film and trying to pay attention to, to what's best for our group each year. And I don't get bogged down by some of the tedious things like holiday meals, you know, holiday meals are getting ready to come up because we're all coming back to school and, the cafeteria is not open for anybody. And how do you, how do you manage those 10 days to two weeks of holiday meals? And, uh, that's divided amongst my staff. And, uh, and so I get to, I, I get up every morning and I work out, I read, um, I spend some time, um, spiritually and the things that are important to me. And, uh, I get a workout in and, I'm in the office between 8:30 and 9 every day, and uh, I try to spend time with our guys too, uh, just like our assistant coaches do. And I try to get out there and watch some of the individual workouts and watch film and and plan and schedule our uh, what we want to get done for, you know, the next couple weeks or the next month or the scout or whatever it is, and uh, and it works for us. And uh, I am an office guy, so I'm around. And uh, I do like to meet with my assistants individually and in the group so that we're all on the same page. But uh, I, I don't consider myself a micromanager. I really kind of let them try to do what they're supposed to do and then just keep me updated. Coach, you've spoken at the NABC conventions and Nike championship clinics over the years. Who are some of your favorite clinicians Ooh. and speakers that you've uh, heard? I, I would tell you this. Uh, about five years ago, 
I started a basketball forum in the Midwest. And uh, in May every year, with the exception of this last May, for about the last five or six years, we've had uh, 10 to 15, maybe 18 uh, Division One, mostly Division One, maybe some Division Two, uh, some pro guys uh, come into a forum. And we spend one day, a couple of years we've done it two days, but most of the time it's been one day. And we share ideas. Uh, it's a pretty wide open forum. We don't have a, we don't have speakers. We don't have a topic. It kind of flows on its own. We've got some ideas that if if it does become a little bit quiet or if we're on one topic too long, ways to to uh, change the subject. But we spend the day just talking basketball, and I've probably gotten more value out of that forum that uh, that Scott Cross and I started a while ago. Uh, than I have out of most clinicians just because guys are more open to share in that environment. Uh, that doesn't mean that those, those environments aren't good. Uh, I've always picked up some great stuff out of those. When I was young, I remember uh, hearing Bob Huggins speak and uh, coach was great. Uh, he was very sincere and he was challenged you. He, he was really good at saying, why are you doing these things? And he pointed out, you know, five to eight things. And why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing it this way? Uh, have you even thought of, are you doing it that way just because everybody else is doing it that way? I thought his approach was really good. I thought I went and heard, uh, I did go hear Shaka Smart. Oh, probably he was at VCU. So I don't know, six or seven years ago. Uh, I heard him over in Dallas at SMU one day and uh, I was talking to a coach afterwards and he said, well, what'd you think of Shaka's? And I said, I thought it was great. I said, I don't coach that way. Shaka's style of play at VCU was not something that we were necessarily interested in doing here at Kilgore. I didn't think it fit the type of guys I recruited, but I said, boy, I sure have a better understanding of the people that do play that way and why they do what they do and how they do it that'll help me coach against it when I see it. And so, you know, I've, I've always taken the approach of trying to learn something or pull something here or there. That's a couple of guys, you know, Bill self is always really good. Bill's always been, been really good about sharing uh, who they are at Kansas and you still got to beat his players. And so I feel like he's pretty open. I've also heard guys speak and I'm like, that's not how you play. You know, I mean, you're talking about something that you don't necessarily do because you don't want to share what it is that you do at your place. And so I, I'm not mad at him for that. But uh, I think the best, just to answer your question and go back to it, the best thing is, is when you can find guys that you can sit down with behind closed doors and just talk about a specific part of the game – I'll tell you what I did, David, to be totally honest with you. And this just popped into my head. When I first started at Dodge City, I used every fall as clinic time for myself. And so what I did is I picked out an area that I didn't think I was good at. Maybe it was offensive rebounding or defensive transition. I remember defensive transition was a big one one year with me. And I asked every single Division One guy that came through our gym in the month of September to recruit our players – I said, you can come in and recruit them, but you have to spend 20 minutes with me before or after practice, and we're going to talk basketball. And I would go in there and say, okay, here's my topic. Tell me what you do. 
and I would make them share with me what they did in their program. And so I, that was my clinic time with guys. And I started falling in love with that one-on-one time and being able to ask specific questions as opposed to um, being in a scenario where I was just sitting there listening somebody talk to me in a clinic situation. So uh, I've really used those environments and our forum in a different aspect uh, or a different way to, to gain the information that I wanted um, about our program and how I wanted to coach or how we wanted to teach the game. Um, I found it that way. Coach, we've come to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three things. You start one, okay. bench one, and cut one. Uh, Nike, Adidas. Start Nike. Sub in Adidas. Cut in Under Armour. Okay. Uh, Juco edition. Jimmy Butler, Ooh. Steven Jackson, Gennaro Pargo. Ooh, well, I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm, I coach, I coached against Gennaro, um, when I was in Kansas. So I'm going to, but I, but I also coached against Jimmy Butler. I wasn't in the league, but I did, we did play Tyler that year. I would start Jimmy Butler. I would sub Gennaro Pargo and I would cut Steven Jackson. Okay. Uh, Hoosiers, Coach Carter, Glory Road. Hoosiers, I'd start. Glory Road, I would uh, uh, sub. And, uh, uh, oh, shoot, what was the third one? Coach Carter. Coach Carter would be the one I'd cut. Uh, Coach Carter and Glory Okay, Whataburger. Uh, that's a great one right there because we're in the heart of all three of those down here. Uh, that would be a good question to ask my family too. Holy cow! Well, I, I'm gonna—I'd uh, have to say I'm gonna start Whataburger because uh, one, we eat it a ton as a family. Two, the guy's a booster of mine, and I would hate to do anything to discourage him. And we do love Whataburger. Uh, and then Chick Fil A would be the sub. And uh, I can't remember the third one again. That would be the cut. Yeah, Raising Cane's, although it's really good, that'd have to be Raising Cane's. No, you can't. Yeah, I, I mean, that was, that was, that was tough things. right there. The last one, oh, Coach. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going down that road at all. You're not college. getting me to come in on those three at all. I think all three, all three of those guys have great value, <laughs> and uh, gosh, dang, I don't, I man, I can't see. Plus, I know all those guys, so I'm not, I'm not reaching. You're not going to get me to comment on that one, but uh, uh, that's a good question. I do like that one. <laughs> Ooh, Coach, who are three guests Ooh. I should have on the podcast? If you can get. Uh, if you can get Bill Peterson at Baylor University on the podcast, uh, he is the director of op- uh, operations or uh, – no, he's not the Dobo. He is – I think he's the, the special assistant to the head coach is I think his actual title. Um, coach Peterson and I have known each other for years. I think he is a guru when it comes to player development. He spent time in the NBA uh, in a couple different stints. Um his ability to teach, his ability to coach, and his ability to develop relationships 
is fantastic. And uh, I have a ton of respect for him. Um, and uh, he would he would be a great one. Um, I would think I, I, I don't really have a specific person in mind. Of course, I think you could use Jake. Uh, I think that just for the value of the podcast, an, an experienced uh, assistant coach at the junior college level that would have some insight into what the day-to-day life is like for, for an assistant coach uh, at this level would be really good. Um, I know that's a little bit vague, but I just think that uh, as I've listened to different podcasts and heard different people speak, I've always thought that getting into that avenue and finding somebody like that would be a really, really good person to, uh, to pick the brain of and ask questions about. And somebody that just understands, I think, junior college, um, sometimes I don't want to call it a bad rap, but I think it's just, uh, people are misinformed and I think they don't understand the value of this environment and the value of this level. And so I think somebody that can help add that would be really good. Um, and then a third person that you think you should have on the podcast. I'm trying to think of somebody that I would think would be inspirational. And I, I mean, I think if you could get a guy like Kevin Eastman, I mean, of course, that would be great. I've, I've heard Kevin speak two or three times. You asked earlier about, about good clinicians. Um, uh, he'd be really good. Um, here's another guy for you that I think is an up-and-comer um, that from an assistance perspective that I think has some, some good value would be uh, Amaro Morgan um, at South Alabama. think he does a good job I think there's an uh, assistant coach at Texas that I've really enjoyed getting to know recently named Neil Barry yeah he uh he was on high point right after I I I've just recently started getting to know him I think he'd be I think he'd be really good um that gives you a few names right there Okay. Coach, what advice do you have for young coaches who are either trying to get in the business or work their way up? The first thing I would tell a a young assistant is you've got to do your job where you're at and you've got to be elite at it. You don't, you don't get your next job because you network. You really get your next job because you're elite at what you do where you're at. And so I think the more that an assistant coach commits, understands, supports, tries to, to be creative and grow the program that they're in, that they're going to they're going to end up reaping the rewards of it quicker and better than then if they're out networking trying to get their next job and broad stroking the job that they're in right now. I think, I think you have to really be intentional 
about anything that you want to improve at or anything that you want to be great at. And so if you think about that from an assistant coach's perspective and somebody that's trying to grow in the business or break into the business, so to speak, you've got to find a way to be intentional about how you're doing things. I've had guys come work for me and um, I, I would get, I, I tell them I don't, I don't get mad very often. What I do is I get resentful because their job lands on my desk because they're not completing it, doing it a hundred percent. They're just kind of getting by, so to speak, that kind of stuff, whatever it is. And that makes me resentful because I can't rely on them to do their job. So if you're going to be intentional about growing in this business, you've got to have great follow through. You've got to have great completion. And the hardest thing about that, David, is you have to know what the end result is supposed to look like to get to the end result. And when you're young and when you're first starting out, it's hard to see. It's hard to know what the end result is supposed to look like because you don't always know. And on top of that, you're not the head coach making all the decisions. And so the quicker you can figure out, like I tell our guys all the time in recruiting, you got to find guys in recruiting that are league level players. Well, how do you do that? Well, you go find the two best players at every position in our league and you better find guys that are as good as those two guys. And they may not be the same player, but they've got to be as good as those players because we need league level players to win. And so that's understanding. I can try to figure out what the end result is supposed to look like without having it right in front of me. So I think the value of an, a young assistant coach is, are you resourceful enough to figure out what the end result is supposed to look like and get your players to that end result, whether it's academically, whether it's on the court, whether it's socially, whatever it is they're trying to change in their life. Can you get them to the end result, whether you truly know the end result or not? And, and part of that may be your growth as a person, too, of knowing what, of, of what the end result needs to be like in your life. And so I, I think that's where experience is. Experience has become such a separator for people because I walk into the office every day and I know what the end result is supposed to look like. That doesn't mean it doesn't change. We've gotten great value out of changing some things in our program this year because of the downtime with the COVID throughout the summer and not chasing recruits all over campus. And so we've adapted some things. But I walk in every day and I know what the end result is supposed to look like. I have the advantage of that because I'm the head coach. As the assistant, how quick can you learn to understand that? Can you, can you teach something to the team that the head coach teaches to the team and truly be able to teach it with the details and the finer points of, the, of, of what you're teaching as well as he does so that they understand what the end result is supposed to look like? And that's a hard, that's a, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest things that young coaches and, and, and what marginal assistant coaches, they, that's one of the things that they fight is they don't pay attention to those details and they don't really know what the end result is supposed to look like. And so they're not as intentional as they need to be in some of the aspects of their job. That may, be, that may be more than what you wanted, but that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at in my coaching career right now. No, no, that's great stuff, Coach. 
you know, Brian, if listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, reach out, ask questions. Uh, what's shoot. the best way to email social media? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, and it's all my name. So it's all either like, uh, I think if you type in Brian Hobright on any of that stuff, it's going to find me. I don't have any special uh, quirky handles or at signs or anything like that. Uh, you can always email me. It's uh, it's B Hobright. And that's H-O-B-E-R-E-C-H-T, bhobright at kilgore.edu. Um, I will answer uh, all emails. Uh, you may have to be patient with me, um, but I will get back to everybody. And uh, um, I've always been appreciative when guys respond to me, so I make sure I respond um, uh, to specific questions and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. And uh, and get in touch with us, and uh, we'll share you know anything we can with you to to try to help you uh, get questions answered or change something. Or uh, David, I've always said that that more information is better. Uh, it either reinforces you uh, in your beliefs and what you believe in, and helps you be more focused about what you're doing, or it changes your opinion on something and helps you tweak it or adjust or make changes in your program. And so if we can if we can help with any of that with any of these guys, we'd be happy to. Brian, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I doubt you'd remember, but you know, we had met my first uh season coaching college basketball. I think my second recruiting trip, I'm out of the old Bob Knight field house at a gasso event. And uh we met briefly and I just I always had a, a strong, you know, a great first impression from you. And, you know, obviously I've kept up with your success over the years and I'm, I'm so gracious. And, and well, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, you, came on you the get podcast. to be as old as I am now. I turned 50 in March. When you get to be as old as I am now, you want to give back to the game. You want to make sure. I think when you're young, you get tunnel vision sometimes and you don't know if you should share everything. Or sometimes I think you're just nervous about what you share just because – at a young age, you're not sure if it's always the right answer. But at, at this point in time, there's there's enough wins under our belt. Our program's had some success, and and we really we really want to give back. We want to give back to the guys that are here, the coaches that are here, and and anybody that feels like uh, there's something out there that we can help with. And we we sure want to try to help and and be a part of the process. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.